0: Hello and welcome back to Close Reads here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I am David Kern, and this being Close Reads, I am joined by two people who, like Bertie Wooster, are far from being gruntled Angelina Stanford and Tim McIntosh. (laughs) How's it going, Angelina? Tim, I did not know
1: where this Bertie Wooster comparison was going to go, and I kind (laughs) of held my breath. I was thinking, Tread lightly, David, tread lightly.
0: Although I think it might have been Jeeves, I think it might have been Jeeves that was far from being gruntled, as I recall. Um, hey, is that a word? Did anybody look that up? Um, I did well, not. But he's
1: always doing that little play, you know. The yeah, word was boggled.
0: <laughs> he's yeah.
1: Like, he always breaks up compound words. I love it.
0: It was. Um, it is now officially in my lexicon. I will say that. Um, so we're here to talk about. PG Woodhouse's The Code of the Woosters. Uh, we are here to start a new book. Do you ever how do you how do you feel when we're starting a new book, guys?
1: It just like in principle, how do I start feel about starting new books? <laughs> this how, book do about, thing?
0: how do you feel about <laughs> when, when we start a new book on Close Reads in particular?
2: It's I, it's kind of like, like, like we it, we it takes a little bit to start the momentum.
0: Yeah. Do you feel that, yeah. Do you feel hesitant as we're starting? Do you feel like there's just um, an uncontrollable uh, excess of energy and thought going through your brain that is, if we, if you don't, if we don't hurry up and get the show started, then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna crash and burn. Or do you perhaps feel like you would rather be taking a nap? Or in the, as in the case of Tim right now, uh, building a deck while in your Ascot-based pajamas, drinking brandy at ten in the morning. Is that?
1: Like he does.
0: Right, like one does. <clears throat> you, you, I'm gonna go ahead, by your by your silence and hesitation, I'm gonna say that you are just, this, you're not sure. I, where-
1: I just don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> uh, let's see, two-part answer. One, the selections are always so good that I am always genuinely excited to start the new series. But like with any, like with, I mean, I think all readers experience this. It's, you can you linger in the last book. It's hard to switch gears.
0: Yeah. Do, okay. That's fair. It's Tim, do you find it hard to switch careers from true grit to the coat of the Woosters? Did you find that a difficult challenge?
2: Well, they're both fun. And the bridge of humor carried me across. I have, I'm starting to, I'm starting to think like the, the narrator of this book, which I guess is like, I'm starting to think like burning.
1: Bertie who? Bertie. Bertram. Young Bertram. <laughs>
2: <laughs> My yeah. mind is taking on his sort of cadence you like, i would never humor, ordinarily uh, have said i would never ordinarily have said uh, the bridge of humor shall carry me across <laughs> that's just right. not part of i i don't build sentences that that, that shit it's to
1: me when i read woodhouse too i start talking like woodhouse i start going around saying dash it all and
0: <laughs> well i want to go ahead and just apologize to all of our listeners for the myriad of accents uh, unfortunate phrases and um <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as funny as PG Woodhouse jokes that are going to actually be ensuing over the next three plus weeks,
1: and and odd, confusing abbreviations.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're certainly in for that. But I would never apologize for such things. Um, before we dive in too uh, too deeply into 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 this book. I want to say a quick word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Ohio Christian University, a values-driven institution that prepares students to become servant leaders engaged in their world. OCU's main campus is located in Circleville, Ohio, just 30 miles south of Columbus. At OCU, you and your students, or I guess you or your students, will experience personal relationships with all of their professors through small class sizes. They have a 10 to 1 student-to-faculty ratio. So uh, they take seriously the idea that professors should know their students' names. Uh, Ohio Christian University is committed to teaching Christian classical worldview that is taught through all of their 30 plus degrees and majors, you know, including, uh, programs ranging from business to ministry to teacher education. It's a private school education at a public school cost. Earning a four year bachelor's degree at o- OCU will cost you less than half the total price of the average completion fees. Schedule a campus visit or apply online today at OhioChristian.edu or 1-877-7 OCU now. That's one eight seven seven OCU N O W. And again, that's Ohio at edu. So thanks to them for sponsoring. And if you are interested, if you get that, you know that age of student, you're looking for an alternative to some of the, you know, other things in your area. Check out Ohio Christian University. Thanks to them for, for bringing making this show possible. I, I find it disorienting. And I'm not exactly sure why to do an ad read like that while, uh, listening to the pleasant chirping of birds. Uh, <laughs> I Ohio to,
2: Christian university would probably appreciate that as a kind of a, as a sound backdrop,
0: bed for their as a, Yeah. As a, yeah. Did, did the birds
1: rattle the old gray matter, David? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: that, that, that is one potential way of putting what I'm getting at. Yes. Um, so okay, let's let's talk PG Woodhouse and Code of the Woosters. I've got two questions for you um, as we get started. The first one is gonna be easy to answer, I think. And I'll start with Tim on this. Tim, how much of a Woosterite are you? Have you ever read a PG Woodhouse novel? Let's call him a Woodhouseite. A Woodhouser? A Woodhouser. How much of a Woodhauser Woodhouse-ian. are you? Woodhauser. It's
1: Woodhouse-ian.
0: Ha- um have you have, have you read mm, any Woodhouse before other than never. on
2: the show? Other than on the show, never. Okay. I've got a couple of friends that are fanatics i mean fanatics but i'd never really tried so i was looking forward to it when we what was that a year and a half ago that we read the story oh maybe oh, more than that maybe a that year was and a half like ago, our second
1: episode or something or oh, was it
2: really
0: oh, yeah way
1: yeah. back yeah
2: hey, that was so, the first that was the first for me
0: okay so then this is what i want you to do and you've got one word to describe your first experience with with pg woodhouse not with pg woodhouse novel in one word how would you describe what you're feeling towards this novel chucklish <laughs> <laughs> indeed it's, it's yes, i'm feeling chucklish it is rare that one can say a word and then do exactly the thing that you said <laughs> the word it was like a real in life, life onan i was like... just i was going to say the exact same phrase angelina In real life <laughs> <laughs> that was delightful. Okay, so uh Angelina, well okay, well we'll come back to I'm going to come back to the novel in particular with you Tim. Angelina, you I believe everyone who's listening knows or most people who've listened for a while know that you are Woodhouse you are a Woodhouseian. Um aside from this novel, when did you first sort of fall into the pit that is the world of Woodhouse?
1: Okay, unlike many things in my life, I have a date for this because <laughs> story and well known like like most things in my life i have a story unlike most things in my life i can point to a calendar date of the moment this happened so in 2001 i went to a conference
0: that's not a calendar date that's a year
1: <laughs> well it would have been end of june 2001
0: okay okay, okay.
1: um so make me look through the archives to get more specific than that this would have been on a saturday uh, or i guess a friday and a saturday and our good friend, Greg Wilbur from New College Franklin, who of course I didn't know at the time, had a book table there. And it was this huge thing. And But his book table, oh gosh, it was like the siren call. There was no curriculum or anything. He had just hand-selected cool, rare things that he thought the classical world needed to be introduced to.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um, things that you can't find anywhere. And I spent so much time at this book table and spent so much time talking to this man. He had um, all of the Canto versions, the Canto editions of all these C.S. Lewis essays that are hard to find, like the discarded image and an experiment in criticism and studies in medieval and renaissance literature. And I bought them all. But I kept going back to the table. And I kid- this was one of the coolest experiences of my life because... I, we struck up such a conversation. I kept coming back and kept coming back. I'm really, he was a book dealer in the truest sense of that word, he, he <laughs> giving out cor- samples, and co- I kept coming back. had
0: a corner, and you kept going back. He did.
1: So really, in what is the coolest and shadiest book story of my life, he moves <laughs> over to me and whispers, I've got a few more titles under the table that I didn't want to just put <laughs> this <video> on. <laughs> buy whatever it was at that point without even seeing it because it was like secret books and i have somehow it was like my king arthur sword in the stone moment you are worthy here are the chaucer books i was hiding under the table so i bought those too. he also had on his table this beautiful collection of little hardback books by someone i had never heard of pg woodhouse it's the same version you bought for us david so the okay. collector's reader's edition is it the overton edition or something like that overture yeah.
0: Um, yeah, the, oh, I think they're called, I think they were Overton.
1: Overton. Okay. So o- this is Overlook, Overlook. Overlook. Overlook editions, right. Just beautiful books that caught my eye because yeah, o- they were so Overlook beautiful.
0: Press. Yeah. Overlook Press. But yeah. Okay. They're cloth bound and all that. Yeah.
1: Just gorgeous books. And so he had a ton of them and I never heard of this guy. So I'm like, who, who's your guy? So he starts making his pitch, right? Like, oh, this this guy and he's the best comic writer in the English language. And he's hilarious. And if you want to know good writing, you, you have to read these books. Of course, I was sold at that point, but I had no money left (laughs) because I had bought all the books hidden under the table.
0: (laughs) So you went and sold some blood.
1: (laughs) But my friend who was with me had some money left, and she is a listener of this show, Christy Graber, who reminded me of this story because I had completely forgotten. And um, so she bought the books. So... The conference was in Memphis, and we so she and I drove back to Louisiana from Memphis. It was like an eight-hour drive, and she pulled one of the books out of her bag, and it was The Code of the Worcesters, and we took turns reading it out loud to each other on our eight-hour drive back, and I did all the voices and had invented these characters, and I was instantly in love instantly in love and came back and started buying them and watched the tv series and like the whole thing just was a total woodhouse scene at that point like so much so that one time during a hurricane when we had lost power for a week i read pg woodhouse short stories out loud to my kids by candlelight
2: <laughs> oh that's great <laughs>
1: doing yeah. all the voices like bg birdie and jeeves are a big part of our family culture Um, So that is the story of my introduction to P.G. Woodhouse, thanks to Greg Wilbur of New College Franklin. Book dealer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) illicit
0: book dealer.
1: I mean, like, we were a hair's breadth from him opening his coat to be like, I have something here you might be interested in.
0: (laughs) Hey, Tim, remember how in The Wire— they use that print shop as the front for their for their drug dealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really want to throw our friends at New College Franklin under the bus, but I'm starting to wonder if it's possible that New College Franklin is actually a front. It's a front. For it's a front. shady but perfectly legal book dealing. Right, right.
1: Well, they were all like British imports too, so that just makes it even more shit. It was like an international book deal.
0: They were wrapped in like brown paper and like... Yeah. Hitting
1: under the table, I mean... I just- you seem cool and it's like he leans over to me are you cool are you cool
0: <laughs>
1: i got some stuff in the back you might be interested
0: in <laughs> you are a repeat customer
1: <laughs> i had that crazed look in my eye like i need a fix i need a fix
0: <laughs> right so okay, right so, tim this is your first code of Woosters, the then is your first experience with yeah yeah okay. so let's let's talk a little bit about specifically about this book um and you know, like you, Angelina, Woodhouse is a bit of a um, cultural touchstone in uh, in the Kern family. I remember when I was a kid.
2: David, I was gonna yeah, ask you, didn't you that. Tell like us what's your first story. exposure?
0: Well, my first what I don't know when my first exposure to this novel is. I just know that my first Woodhouse exposure was my dad was going on some business trip. You know what would be really funny, Angelina?
1: Your dad was at that conference. <laughs> That was the first time I ever heard him speak.
0: Maybe he was one of Greg's buyers also. i got
1: to know if he brought Woodhouse. What, 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 what,
0: what was the conference? Do you know?
1: It was ACCS conference in uh, Memphis in 2001. That was the first time I heard your dad speak. Well, it
0: is, it is certainly possible that, I uh, man, I don't know. It's possible. I'm trying to think how old I was and trying to place myself like, you know, as a kid, how old was I when I remember this? See, I remember my dad coming home from a conference and it very well could have been that conference. And he comes home with Woodhouse's, um, this giant book of Woodhouse short stories called the golf omnibus.
1: Oh, I have that. Yeah, And it's
0: all stories that Woodhouse wrote about golf. So he is, he is, <laughs> he has the bird. His most famous stories are the code of, are the, the Jeeves and Wooster stories where Wooster, Bertie Wooster gets into these scrapes and Jeeves gets him out of it. There's a series of there's a couple, Three dozen short stories about them, maybe, maybe, maybe that's too many, and then several novels. But then he also has a lot of other series, like the Blazing Castle. Blaine. Yeah, yeah. And, and then Smith's um, my favorite. Yep. Yeah, and then there's um, Smith
1: with the P. The P is silent. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. P. So it's spelled like P. Smith, but this P is silent. What is the um? What is the the one about the the the? There's a guy that sits at a at a bar or at a club or something, and he tells stories, and everyone uh, like somebody who's there is just repeating his stories back. That's the conceit. Oh. I I can't remember what that is, but then the golf stories
1: he's written so many. I've I've read tons that are just not in these series at all. And he also wrote, as you know, tons of screenplays for Hollywood. I mean, the man was so prolific. So what didn't he have his finger in? Honestly.
0: (laughs) So, so he, um, well, we all know he loved two seaters. Um, so he he probably had a large collection of, I imagine he had a large garage once he got famous of just two seaters. Um, so, um, (laughs) I, he he had this book of golf stories, and I remember just reading those. I must have, I, I was old enough to I would have been fifteen in two thousand one or something. So I it, it, might, it might that might have been right. So I remember just sitting there reading those golf stories for hours and thinking they were hilarious. And then that that was the uh, you know since we're since we're uh, on this theme, Angelina, that was the gateway drug into the birdie Wooster. Uh,
2: I gotta pause. I gotta pause this and just say you guys were so precocious, like. I would never have read as a 15 year old, a Bernie Wooster story. I just, I was a very late to arrive to any story, very appreciation. I'll tell you what I was reading when I was 15 years old, I was reading the hammer of the gods, the unauthorized Led Zeppelin biography, <laughs> and, and I was like, and I was like, man, this is some deep stuff that I'm like hey. diving into here. This is heavy well two things Rife one, with deep with, with rife with literary
0: themes two things one hey depending on the audience i would admit to, to reading all kinds of things that are much more like that but oh, i'm yes. you know you know you got to know your audience right and then um also all that deep led zeppelin thought probably prepared you for deep literary thought. so hey don't look down your nose on the hammer okay. of the, gods, the authorized by thank you zeppelin. <laughs> my dad would approve you and my dad should do a should do a you know what i'm guessing part three of your reason podcast is actually (laughs) (laughs) probably not
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) probably not let's let's, i want to i want to um okay Angela, i'm gonna do this you you're way more familiar with woodhouse just kind of big picture so generally speaking can you give me three things that you love about pg woodhouse and don't go, don't go too far on this because I want to I want you to save some okay. material for the for the rest of our conversations. But just in like um, a, phrase, a phrase for each or a sentence for each or even a word phrase. Some three things that you love about Woodhouse.
1: Okay, the like language,
0: undefended. We'll say it undefended.
1: Undefended. The language. Okay. The pacing. Okay. The tone.
0: Okay. Now, Tim, as you've been reading this novel for the first time, in your 104 pages or whatever it is, four chapters. Um. What are three things that have stood out to you that that you like that that you're particularly enjoying about them about the book?
2: The point of view, which I think, okay, I'm just going to say the three things. Maybe we can expand upon them. Yeah, I said, "Undefended, go. man. Come on,
1: undefended." Okay. He's like preparing. Oh, He's okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Once uh, again, Tim is the one who cannot follow directions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be fair, I did so repeat I would, them like three times for you. Yeah, I know. It's terrible. Okay.
2: Uh, point of view, irony, okay. and tone. Okay. Um, so we I just got, want to say,
1: too, I read these books out loud, Do y'all. Like, I can't not read them out loud. That's the only way I can catch the rhythm. Because we're Americans. We don't talk like that.
0: Um, I do at times. I I definitely. I was thinking last night as I was reading it at like eleven o'clock. I, I couldn't really read out loud for you know. I don't want to keep people up, but um, I was thinking like my instincts was to read them out loud.
1: How about you, Tim? I. The actor. What, what typically
2: happens is I'll read something and I'll. I won't quite chuckle. It's more, a little bit more subdued than a chuckle, but I'll know, I'll know this would probably be funnier if I read it aloud and then I'll read it aloud. So I don't read the whole thing. But if yeah. I come to a section or a few lines that I know are bound to be funny aloud, then I'll back up and
1: read. Yeah, aloud. I agree. I'm not doing the whole thing out loud, but oh gosh, I had belly laughs. I'm so way beyond chuckling. I have to stop and just I put the book down and laugh so hard. That description of Roderick Spode, like somebody was in the middle of inventing a gorilla and stopped
0: halfway <laughs> Okay, okay. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. So okay. As I was reading, I mean, I know the story. I remember what happens. I I, I know the the main characters pretty well. You know, that's you know, I, in some ways, I wish that it was my first experience with some of these characters. Every time I read it, I think, man, I wish this was my first experience with with Booster. Um, <laughs> so en- enjoy it, Tim. Enjoy it. Anybody who's new, thank you. But um, I want to. I was I was thinking about how there's like two kinds of th- ways that I respond to this book. Now that I know that, like, there's the there's the stuff I mark in. The margins of my books with a little star which are just or i underline and it's um like this is a line that i just love like it's just so funny i i, I love it but mm-hmm. then there's also the ones that i'm marking my margins where i literally write lol because i <laughs> actually because involuntarily i actually laugh out loud and i try to mark stuff like that like if it's not vol, if, if i'm just kind of like enjoying it and chuckling and thinking that's funny i'll underline it if it's a section that i want to remember for some structural reason i'll put a star yeah. on the margin <clears throat> or for some storytelling reason, but then the ones where I literally involuntarily laugh out loud, I mark those by writing LOL in the margins. Um, so what I want to do is I want to kind of look David's at. The
1: system, by the way, is copyrighted. No one can. Yeah. No one's take the LOL. That's well, copyright.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he'll be
1: selling. He'll be selling a guide for that soon. This exactly. The LOL guide.
0: And you can't use the, the words ha ha or anything else that I typically use when I'm texting. Um, <laughs> so um, I wish you could do emojis in the side of. Um, in the sides of the margins of books.
1: All these little crying, smiley, laughy faces.
0: (laughs) I guess that's what our book, that's what
2: our bookmarks are. Our bookmarks are emojis.
1: (laughs) That is very true.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I was thinking, let's look at some of the, the stuff we love in this first section. Um, from those two perspectives. And one thing, as the book, as these discussions go on, we'll touch on more structural stuff. We'll t- We'll kind of read more closely in terms of what Woodhouse is doing. But for this first episode, I thought let's focus on some of the things we just love and some of the things that like draw us into the story. So I want to focus on those two things. One of the things that we, that are, that are for me underlines that are just like, they just make us really happy kind of like deep inside. And then one of the things that we are literally laughing out loud about the sort of involuntary, involuntary, involuntary stuff. I can talk still. Um, and I thought let's compare and see where some of us have some overlap. So, um, Angelina, what are let's go with a couple what are a couple just as you're flipping through what are a couple of lines that are for you not the involuntary laughing lol lines but some of the lines that you just mark and and just they just resonate and and um you thoroughly enjoy reading
1: oh gosh
0: it could even be like a phrase like a description one thing that i love for example in his in these books is that there is never a time when PG Woodhouse says that a character walked. There's always a different verb.
1: Ah. That oh,
0: really? He, he never walks. At best, like, am, at, like ambled at, at or best. something like that. Yeah. At best, he ambles. He meanders. He. Um. Um. Uh, I don't. I'd mean, I have to think. He retrieves. He. You know. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know. At, you know of, he's Yeah. Most. It's that's the interesting thing to look for is just how. How um creative woodhouse is with his verbs and not in a way that's sort of like you know ostentatious writing it's in a way that's that keeps that that generates ongoing humor right because the humor is in more than the situations which the situations are very funny if, right. Tim, if, you, if you have something while Angelina is looking feel free well we can just kind page, of go popcorn 66 at the bottom uh, <laughs> the very
2: first uh sentence in the last partial paragraph I was astounded at my keenness of perception. <laughs> like, the whole book is about his dullness of perception. And
1: it, Wait, what's the is, line where he says, I caught on very quickly. It wasn't one or two minutes before. I- yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It's like the last, that's in the last two or three pages of the yeah. sections that we I read. I
0: love that, too. I, that's when that's I marked. Um,
1: yeah, that's one of the things that I'm really enjoying this time, is his just complete lack of self-awareness. At,
0: at, exactly.
1: And it's we, so here it hilarious. Is,
0: page 101. We Woosters are pretty quick. I don't think it was more than a couple of minutes be- before I figured out what she meant. <laughs> and her person shuddered.
2: What, David, what page is that?
0: 101.
1: Okay, so He's just
0: talking to come. Um, <laughs> uh, St- 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 What's her name? Spink. Uh,
1: Spink. Oh, name? Stiffy, Stiffy, yeah. Stiffy,
2: Stiffy. Stiffy Bing. Yeah. The names, by that, the way. The I name. think that's a perfect, that's a perfect example of why this book is just to me, such a triumph, it's because the, the reader knows for probably a half a page before Bertie says this, knows exactly that he's basically fumbling um, his whole plan to kind of get out of what Stiffy wants him to do. We see him fumbling it and then a half a page after we know like how badly he's blowing it. He says, I caught on quickly. It wasn't more than, and I think like the whole book, this is, I stopped and like wrote a little note in the back of my book, maybe like after chapter one, this whole book makes the author, excuse me, makes the reader have a superior knowledge, but Everything is coming through the narrator that is Bertie. And so everything is sort of filtered through this very slow, um, reluctant, scared kind of gentleman. Every bit of information we get comes through him, but yet, you know, somehow still, we're in the superior position and we understand what's going on, but right. he just that's yep. magical. That's
0: incredible. And that's why I love that you said both irony and perspective, because the reality is the sort of one and the same in this book. The irony is the perspective. Uh huh. Uh huh.
1: Yeah. Jeeves is the reliable narrator. Bertie's the unreliable narrator. But everything's filtered through Bertie. But he's so unaware that he gives us he gives us what's really happening, accidentally.
0: <laughs> right. And 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 the interesting thing is, you know, through four chapters, three hundred and four pages, we've only had. Ooh, maybe ten total lines of Jeeves Jeeves speaking. And he's maybe been in two scenes. I mean, he hovers over it because even like his friend Gussie had gone to like we're aware of Jeeves's sort of wisdom and you
1: know, Right. And, like, right. and for first in- time for first time readers who are probably at this point in the book going, I don't I don't get it, you know, when <laughs> Jeeves isn't even in the story. This is the classic Woodhouse setup. Birdie makes a horrible mess of everything. <laughs> and Jeeves, with the old gray matter, must eat a lot of fish. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah. Or comes in and
1: saves a day. So right now we're in the Birdie's making a big mess of it stage of the book.
0: And or and, and the funny thing is that rarely is not only is Birdie not really smart enough to solve anything, he's not really smart enough to actually try to make a mess of it. Mostly he just is himself and things collapse around him.
1: Yes.
0: And so then he has to like find a way out of it. Like it's like the thing at the the shop where he's looking at the cow creamer. He didn't really do anything wrong he just is himself and things bad things happen to him because he's sort of incapable of you know normal human interaction
1: (laughs) he's extremely innocent too right right? like he's not he doesn't have there's no guile in birdie blister when he tries to have guile is when it's hilarious
0: (laughs) and and that's one of the things that like if you want to take if you if for the people who want to take these books seriously and we will talk about this in future episodes these books are something of a commentary On the end of you know that kind of brideshead revisited era, British aristocracy fading away, post war and all that kind of stuff, and and so he he is creating an ironic sort of um, voice for that time, this sort of character who doesn't doesn't actually understand what's happening around him, and so the downfall of Bertie Wooster is sort of tragic if you want to look at it in sort of a big grand big picture, and we can talk about that later, but 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 Woodhouse is kind of presenting that in this deeply ironic way that that is that allows us to sort of allows him to sort of comment on what's happening around him um right. with, with yes, the so sort no of one in the aristocracy looks
1: good in these books at all right
0: right especially <laughs> ants
1: and they're all well i mean we'll get into that later but even even the, their names like so their formal name is so heavy and you know Hildebrand Glossop, but then they call him Tuppy, and, uh, right, and exactly I'm, I'm borrowing right. from Jussie other stories think
0: here. with a barmy,
1: barmy, fungi hips, and you know, <laughs> all of that is to just show kind of like the ridiculousness of all these centuries of intermarriage.
0: Market Snodsbury Grammar School.
1: Oh gosh, that's the best. We should just, just go just watched, through and look at. I just me. watched that episode this morning of the of the TV show. But okay, so I found a quote which would be just not a laugh out loud, but a chuckle, okay. and that's this that Bertie always has these like anticlimactic ironic statements that he isn't trying to be that way about but it's it's just so hilarious so here's one when he's getting ready to talk to stiffy what
2: page is this, this
1: is page 94 uh-huh. so this is after the dog incident and the for people,
0: are... i just want to say people that don't have the same editions will have different page numbers but right. in this case oh, we're yeah. reading things we enjoy so just you know sorry
1: <laughs> this is in the dog episode with stiffy
0: yeah oh yeah all right
1: the Worcesters are brave, but not rash.
0: I have this I allowed
1: her I allowed her to lead me to the stone wall that bordered the terrace and we sat down. The evening I remember, was one of perfect tranquillity, featuring a sort of serene peace, which just shows you
0: <laughs> that was an, I did laugh out loud at that one last night at like one in the morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, and I page two you will she said and again i was conscious of that subtle feeling of uneasiness i told myself that i must be firm but i could not but remember roberta wickham and the hot water bottle a man thinks he is being chilled still or adamant if he preferred the expression and suddenly the mists clear away and he finds that he has allowed a girl to talk him into something frightful samson had the same experience with delilah
0: <laughs> on the opposite page i love i love to um the um uh talking about Gussie and and she said um uh to, i can't tell who's talking here actually um oh it's uh this is this is birdie he says she says what is he what has Gussie done and he says just been Gussie. that's all just gone about with no chin goggling through his spectacles and keeping newts in his bedroom <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay is this a thing that happens with you guys do you feel like half the time you don't really understand what in the world he's saying but it's still funny Oh sure. Well,
1: no, we do because these are all stories that already have been told. So we know oh, the characters and we know what they're referencing. But even if you don't, like the first time I read it I didn't, but now I've read all of them so I know exactly. These are these are all references to other short stories. I see. Okay. So these are not okay. made up episodes. This is real. But and that, and so as I was reading it, and I love this about Woodhouse, as I was reading I guess about 10 pages in, right at the moment when I thought I bet someone who doesn't know these stories would be confused. That's right when Birdie w- busts in and says, a chap doesn't really know how much of the backstory did you give. And have, do you already know this? And I'm going to be like, move along. We're bored. Are you completely lost? And I just, I love that right at the moment, I thought it's getting a little confusing. In comes the explanation, right? You're I was thinking,
0: I, sorry, sorry. No, no. Well, I was thinking about, Tim mentioned self-awareness, and I think that in in almost all of Woodhouse, um, self-awareness is kind of like one of the, the key, there's like no theme sort of more central to Woodhouse's books than self-awareness or the lack thereof, um, which again, we can talk about what that means, what, he, what commentary he's trying to make. But what's really interesting is that we have a narrator who has absolutely no self-awareness, sort of like Maddie Ross, actually, but mm-hmm. the author... Has a great deal of self awareness about the about kind of the, the, the form and the activity of what he's doing and his relationship with his readers. So he's presenting like his own sort of um, concerns about his relationship with his readers and his own awareness of that relationship with his readers through a character who has no self awareness whatsoever. And it creates like a, again, there's that really interesting, ironic humor that's coming through there.
1: Right. And it's on that page, I'm on it now, 14 and 15, that he does give the backstory of Gussie and the Newts. But it's a, it's a lot of characters in detail, so I'm not. Surprised. And it really like, doesn't matter. <laughs> it, it really doesn't matter, except I mean, you there get the times... impression that Gussie is a super nerd, and that would be the correct impression.
2: Yeah, <laughs> there are times though that he, I, he uses um, colloquialisms, British colloquialisms oh, that
1: yes, and the same. I think sure, yeah,
2: probably yeah, are probably not. I, but I don't yeah. know what they are. Okay, okay, but do you you still find yourself laughing? Oh, oh yeah. yes, yeah. I hope we can come across one of those and read them too. I love old-fashioned
1: slang. I just love it. I grew up watching, Um, you remember the Bowery Boys? So like I watched a lot of depression era movies <laughs> as a kid because I was so fascinated with the slang. I would go, look, see, this is how yeah, it's going to be, yeah. see, you know?
0: Yeah, the, the all that pulp stuff. So I, love one, it, I love it. Here's one for you on page 90. So he's talking to Stiffy and she's doing that baby talk thing with the dog. And then he, so he says, <laughs> He says she says something like that, and then he goes, or words to that general trend. I can't do the dialect, of course, but then he's and I, I really question whether I should even read this, but I'm going to. I'm going to just jump in it. I stared at the young pill, appalled at I'm more to this would, too. Appalled that you know, the more I see of women, the more I think there ought to be a law. Something has got to be done about this sex, or the whole fabric of society will collapse, and then what silly asses we shall all look. <laughs> And I realize that like 90% of our listeners are women, but that makes it more funny.
1: Okay, but let's let's put it into context because part of why this is so hilarious rather than offensive is that one of the ongoing themes is how ridiculously inept all of the men in the books are. All of them, all of the British male aristocracy look like they can't even tie their shoes seriously without their manservant there i mean that's one of the themes right is every day jesus is like so you're not going to wear those pants are you like you know yeah. and and they're very infantile the, and so the, one of the, the themes is that they need exactly the, that they need using, a woman
0: sorry the internet the connections going in and
1: oh okay sorry
0: sorry I, I thought i couldn't it well, sounded silent
1: oh no, I'm sorry. I was I was talking, but the internet decided to mute me. And that happens. But the universe is just like enough. I get that. My <laughs> kids are also pot. like that. God, just mute. Uh, but that. So the one of the recurring themes and motifs and ideas is that the British aristocracy, male, is just completely inept. And so all of these women talk about they're going to take a man in hand, and all these women want to improve Birdie. And it's very clearly that is the women that keep things moving, not not the men. Um, so that right. that's why he can get away with saying that because that's Bertie's lack of self-awareness. That is not P. G. Woodhouse's comment on well, women. And you know, even
0: even more than or even perhaps on par with women keeping the world moving, it's kind of a countercultural thing to, to for the for the aristocracy to literally be incapable of choosing out clothes that look good, um, or to be able to get themselves breakfast. And it's it's really the working class that is keeping the world moving. It's the yes. it's the people like Jeeves, the people who were not brought up. I mean, he was he knows, and and the, the ironic thing is, he knows the sort of code that they're supposed to live by, the way they're supposed to dress, the things they're supposed to be prepared for, the the way they're supposed to interact with each other. Um, Jeeves knows all that, and he has to prepare uh, Wooster to to do that. And so the only person who's so the people who are holding up this aristocracy are the people who are not even a part of it, um, and that's sort of in and of itself reveals the degree to which they're all in such trouble
1: oh absolutely Jeeves is the one, Jeeves is the holder and the carrier on of the tradition not Bertie Bertie seems largely clueless about it even though he'll make speeches of I know what a Worcester man is you know <laughs> what is it that's the line about we Worcester men have a bulldog streak at us you know like every now and, yeah, that, and then he has these moments that's on, like
0: page 23 thinks, or something like that. where he
1: thinks he's reaching for chivalry you know like i come from centuries of knights and we're brave and chivalrous and his bravery is about you know standing up to a misunderstanding or
0: my favorite line in here in the whole the whole section is a line about chivalry actually i gotta find it but i also love this one because i just happen to have it open it just shows you how true it is that one half of the world doesn't know how the other three quarters lives (laughs) oh yeah yeah Yeah. tim do you have any other lines (laughs)
2: I have a favorite. I was just looking for it. Is it, is it, uh, you
0: can't beat suavity, which I've always taken to be your particular <laughs> motto.
2: <laughs> it is. I think that's, that's my first tattoo. <laughs> um, which suavity I I really, <laughs> really want to, I mean, there's so many, but this one was the one that I think made me laugh more than any. Uh, just give me a second here. This is great theater. I'm so glad that we're recording this.
1: Well, while you're looking for that, I'll just give our readers a little backstory about the Sir Watkin thing. So, that's actually the very first Jeeves and Worcester story is that Bertie was uh, involved in some late night drunken Oxford pranks, which included the pinching of an officer's helmet, and he got caught. So, he got drunkenly brought to court where Sir Watkin was the judge, and he was fined five pounds for this prank. And so that's why he is horrified to encounter Sir Watkin again and to be have Sir Watkin only vaguely remember, didn't I sentence you? But then he thinks it's for being a, a thief, bag thief. And that's just so hilarious, that whole, I'm so glad to see you reformed your way. See, Sir Roderick Prison does people a world of good.
0: <laughs> I love how he, there's like nobody, who, there's no profession who Woodhouse is not afraid to skewer. Oh, right. (laughs) Like whether it's the courts or even, well, think about even um, uh, Gussie, who's a scientist. And so this is the time when, you know, everybody's so obsessed with science in this period. And he has that whole thing about he wants to, (laughs) the moon will be full in two or three days. And I want to find out if it affects the love life of newts too.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes.
0: But what is the love life of newts? And again, Booster gets like really serious about, about that question. What is the love life of newts? If you boil it right down, what is it?
1: Oh, is it on page 100, about the line about chivalry? I've marked that one. The expression, God help us, is one which I would not have gone, have gone so far as to use myself, for I think a chivalrous man ought to stop somewhere. Yeah. But since you have brought it up, I admit that it covers the facts.
0: Yeah. So the chivalry for him is like, you don't say, God help us. <laughs> His understanding of chivalry has really declined since, I don't know, 1600. <laughs>
1: did you find your line tim
2: page 76 uh so this is um gussie is talking about this kind of newfound
0: yeah this is good i don't know
2: way of approaching life which he's going to be very critical and he's kind of going to amass terrible things about people so that he's not afraid to speak publicly in front of them um so gussie says oh yes he said I've got it all carefully memorized, and I'm extremely pleased with it. During the past week, I have been subjecting the characters of Roderick Spode and Sir Watkin Bassett to a pitiless examination. I have probed these two gumboils to their very core of their being. It's amazing the amount of material you can assemble once you really begin analyzing people. Have you ever heard Sir Watkin Bassett dealing with a bowl of soup? It's not like a Scottish expression. Go- it's not unlike the Scottish express going through a tunnel have you ever seen spode eat asparagus no revolting it alters one's whole concept of man as nature's last word
1: one of the hilarious things about this scene is we're joking about how slow on the uptake birdie is but birdie gets the uptake here way before gussie does
0: yeah well in gussie (laughs) that's how
1: slow he is
0: when they lose the when they lose the book
1: yes and so you wrote this down did you oh yes i did
0: gussie is typically slower than than birdie is
1: okay okay and barmy thingy Fips. so like uh, most of them are way slower than birdie
0: (laughs) and he so and that's why i love like the way uh, woodhouse is even just skewering i mean gussie kind of fancies himself this like scientist this 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 professional scientist crossed with like Freud or someone, right? Like he thinks he understands like psychology, and he with the scientific, you know, by with observation, the scientific process, he can understand human nature. He can understand, you know, figure out everything. He needs to not be afraid of these people and all that kind of stuff. But he doesn't understand himself, and and he just, but he's so incapable of of any actual thought. You know, he has right, yeah. so much so that he to give a speech, he has to go to somebody else's butler to get some advice.
1: Uh, right, and this is a uh, okay. So something else that doesn't uh, escape the the satirical pen of PG Woodhouse is classical education, right? Um, the aristocracy have been given this education. He went to Oxford and Eton, and and he he he. Well, he has a lot of malapropisms with quotes, and but occasionally Bertie gets a, a classical quote spot on. But it's almost always Jeeves who un, really understands. So the servant class yeah. is the one who really understands Shakespeare and poetry. And there's a so many humorous moments. Words. Exactly. So, page forty. This was. Uh, this made me laugh too. So they're driving out to Brinkley Court. Oh no, no, no. They're not at Brinkley, Brinkley Court. Is the Travers' home. They're going to the um, to Sir Watkin's house. Yes, sir. Might I venture to inquire if it is your intention to endeavor to carry out Mrs. Travers' wishes? You can't fling the hands up in a passionate gesture when you're driving a car at fifty miles an hour. Otherwise, I should have done so. <laughs> that is the problem with just torturing me, Jeeves. I can't make up my mind. I remember that fellow you've mentioned to me once or twice, who lets something wait upon something? You know who I mean—the cat chap. <laughs> Macbeth, sir, a character in a play of that name by the late William Shakespeare. He was described as letting I dare not wait upon I would, like the poor cat in the adage. Well, that's how it is with me. I wobble and I facilitate, if that's the word. Perfectly correct, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and then. Later He's in the garden with Madeline Bassett and he says, like Jeeves always says, and he quotes Jeeves quoting Shelley, but he doesn't know that. And she says, Oh, Betty. You know, your Shelly. You know
0: Shelly,
1: yeah. No, okay. So it's a that's pun. A, but,
0: that's a recurring thing too, though. Like Bertie accidentally uh yes. saying so saying she, literature that right. literary literary references. Yes. So she's him. this
1: to- and, exactly. She's and and total- then
0: girls liking him because of it that he doesn't exactly like. <laughs> exactly. Like that's hard. good. I didn't so know that. The,
1: the humor there, though, is she says, "Oh, Bertie, you know you're Shelly," and he says, "Oh, am I?" So it's an <laughs> elaborate pun because she says you know your possessive Shelly Percy right, Shelley poet right, that's yep. what she's saying but what he hears is you know you are you Shelley. are and Shelly was slang for basically awesome and so he says oh am I
2: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know slang for awesome that makes it even better
1: right isn't that hilarious oh but See, that was one Shelley. that was one
2: I laughed at I was like I know that that is funny but I didn't know that Shelley was slain for awesome. Now I but, but, <laughs> it's really good.
0: Well, did you guys know that it is no use telling me that there are no ba- that there are bad ants and good ants at the core they're all alike. Sooner or later out pops the Cloven Hoof. Yes. <laughs>
1: yes. Now I can't remember is Birdie an orphan? Has he always been an orphan? I can't. Yeah, I remember. think
0: so. Well, like even on page uh, thirty-nine, actually, he says, "If my had, if I had to live my life again, Jeeves, I would start it as an orphan without any ants. Do they? Don't they put ants in turkey and sacks and drop them in the Bosphorus?" <laughs> <laughs> Odalisque, sir i understand not ants or aunts however the english would say well why not aunts look at the trouble they cause in the world i tell you jeeves and you may quote me out saying this behind every poor innocent harmless blighter who was going down for the first time in the soup you will find if you look carefully enough the ant who shoved him into it
1: <laughs> oh totley towers that's the name of where they're going
0: at which i love that line where he says the more i thought of what lay before me at these bally towers the bowed downer did the heart become <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's one of the things that I really appreciate also about this book is how strained the English language becomes under his pen. Like, it, it, I, I wish thing, i could.
0: You know what? I wish you could couple a
2: metaphor. Smart.
0: Say again, David. Well, you know, Wooster thinks he's being smart when he says something like "bowed downer." Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> He
2: describes. This may not be the best example, but uh, on one hundred and two, he describes Spode as being a cliff-like mass. And you're yeah, like, yeah. okay, sure. I mean, but it's not exactly the best metaphor, just because you, would, you, you probably shouldn't describe a single person as having the mass of a cliff. It's still funny. It's just. It's, it's what makes it so funny is just the strain it puts on the metaphors
1: right oh, it exactly. tickles right.
0: me it tickles me <laughs> it, it makes you chucklish it it goes it back to chucklish. the it goes back to the perspective of you know where the where woodhouse knows what he's doing but wooster oh, doesn't absolutely. and that's where the the that's where that that strain is is like perfectly i don't know if the word is perfectly the sort of um layered by you know by by the author
1: well this yeah. is this is where we absolutely see his brilliance as a writer and also what we see as the particular advantage of the genre of the book as opposed to images on a screen right woodhouse is con- in control of what we see initially all of the first encounters with Roderick's boat are only through Bertie's eyes. Whereas if we really saw what Sir Roderick looked like, we we would get a totally different image than seeing him through Bertie's eyes. Right? So first time he's seven feet tall. Next time it's like, I was wrong. He's actually eight feet tall. So you get the idea of this incredibly imposing man, which Bert, when Bertie finds out he is a dictator wannabe, he's so excited. Didn't I say, didn't I say.
2: My powers of perception. My powers of perception. Speaking of which we got to come back.
1: Yes. Keep,
0: keep, going. keep going. Keep going. Okay. Keep going.
1: So I'll just finish my thought. Yeah. yeah no, so you're... all of that is through Birdie's eyes. Then when we finally get a little narrator moment through some other character and we realize he's the dictator of the black shorts and he's like, I'm sorry, don't you mean shirts? Oh no, they were all out of shirts by the time he started his fascist <laughs> group. So they're black shorts. Do you, don't mean, you don't mean footcha bags. Yes. Oh my. Like, so then he's just ridiculous. This eight foot dictator in bare a knees. Bare, bare knees. <laughs> well they were all out of shirts by the time that that is classic woodhouse just so he's ridiculing fascism which of course i mean this is right before the outbreak of world war ii so he's Mm. literally mocking the nazis Uh, lots of books he really mocks hard socialism that's coming through and comrade and that's the whole thing with smith right everybody's comrade but he could not be more aristocratic than he is and but so so the aristocracy started flirting with fascism and socialism and those being trends, I mean, he he gets all of those.
0: The black shorts thing is, I think, my favorite individual moment in the in in the chapters we read because it's just like he has what has that ability to just sort of drop the unexpected on you. And that was actually the thing I was going to say that I was going to bring up because you're just going along telling the story about Spode, and you have in your head what as you pointed out, what you think Spode looks like because of what we, what uh, Birdie presented him as and so you you in your head you're kind of thinking he's this hulking you know andre the giant type figure or something the british andre the giant but then he's not he just he looks like a little kid you know where he basically could be wearing lederhosen (laughs) hey i'm a little worried
2: that i mean this is the plot of this book is not important at all are our readers going to kind of drop into this and just hear us like recounting various chucklish moments and lose a sense of kind of like the overall scheme of the book? Is that important?
0: I don't think it's important yet. Okay. Because honestly, what happened, happened so far? He was in a. Yeah. <laughs> his aunt told him she wanted to go steal a cow, go look at a cow creamer slightly askance. And then he accidentally got caught quote stealing it then he has to go to this the same place where that guy lives i mean like that's pretty much all that happened and then he finds out that his friend's in trouble yeah um and i think that's actually one of the things that he's doing is that it's the coincidences that matter more than the plot yeah yeah um (laughs) it's the things that are like sort of accidentally happening
2: yeah like at the end of chapter four he has these three chance encounters with the policeman with Stiffy and then with Soad. They all just happened to kind like walk up. up if he follows. Yeah. They didn't walk up. They all sauntered up, ambled up.
0: Yeah, watch especially how people leave and enter rooms. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a funny bit. So like if Wooster's in a room already... People who are going in and out, well, the way we, the words that Wooster uses to describe how they're entering and, and leaving is one of the Woodhouses, uh, a classic Woodhouseian play on words, often. Here's another one. I had just lighted a cigarette as she spoke these words. And so, according to what they say in the advertisement, ought to have been nonchalant. But it must have been the <laughs> wrong sort of cigarette, for I shot out of my chair as if somebody had shoved a brat all through the seat. That
1: was all. so good. That was, was so good. He blames
0: the he blames the cigarette.
1: Must have been the wrong kind of cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> steady on, Jeeves. Steady on. Oh gosh.
0: Do you, Tim, do you find um, that the um, that the co- the lack of sort of clearly defined plot, if you will, and the, the the degree to which the story relies on coincidences, do you find that disorienting? As a as a no subject. not at all okay. not at all because I was going to say I do I mean as a playwright you know the in a play or a movie or whatever plot is the is the leading priority so yeah you
1: know but
2: it seems like I was thinking about how a lot of comedies work and it seems like a lot of comedies are based on this sort of MacGuffin of something that needs to be done the MacGuffin David you can probably explain what a MacGuffin is better than I can it's a it's an it's an unimportant objective. The cow creamer is classic. It's yes. it just is something it's... that drives the plot forward, but it's of no serious consequence.
1: Well, it only is in the sense that the fact that their lives revolve around such trivial stuff is part of the satire of the of the aristocracy, right? So it's like thematically important, but right. yeah. it could right. be anything. But it could be any
0: plot from a plot perspective, it... It's not, it doesn't matter that it's like that it is specifically a cow creamer.
1: Right. And so right. if we take, if we take a little step back, like, so if we want to talk about overall movement of the story, what he, what Woodhouse has masterfully done is he has gotten all these different people with their own storylines and conflicts all in the same manor house, like all in the same place with Bertie at the center of every one of those conflicts, but not involved in it. But of course he's getting sucked in, right?
0: We have like the funny version of murder on the Orient Express going on.
1: Oh yes. well, And he references (laughs) Hercule Poirot, right? Like, Oh, oh, now I know how a master criminal would have felt. Here's another one of my funny lines. When Madeline Bassett had been telling uh, Bertie that Gussie was a newfound man and had all this confidence and he didn't believe him. And then he walks in and sees him there. Um, except for some sort of dim female abaft the teapot who looked as if she might be a cousin by marriage or something of that order only sir watkin bassett Roderick Spode, and gussie were present gussie was straddling the hearthrug with his legs apart warming himself at the blaze which should one would have said have been reserved for the trouser seat of the master of the house and I saw immediately what Madeline Bassett had meant when she said that he had lost his diffidence. Even across the room, one could see that when it came to self-confidence, Mussolini could have taken his correspondence course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I think one of the things that I love... um, is the way he—I don't know if I said this actually—is the way he, so he'll create the things that you were just dis, were describing: the perspectives, these these wacky characters, these the situational comedy, comedy, and the comedy of language, right? So you've got those kind of three elements of of or three various kinds of comedy that he weaves together masterfully. But he also take, creates this absurdity, and but but he sort of takes the absurdity seriously, right? Or at least Wooster does. So the, all the absurdity is presented like so earnestly. Through, his, through the perspective of Wooster, which sort of draws you into it and like makes it even more funny. So the, so the situations are really absurd. And the characters are absurd and the language is hilarious. And so you've got all those elements, but then he's putting them together and the earnestness with, with which he delivers all that adds another layer of, of humor. And it sort of makes it more emotionally complicated for readers, uh, if that makes sense.
2: <clears throat> do, you, do you have
0: an example david i'm putting you on the spot um well so wooster for example he's caught con- he he in particular takes the situations so seriously well all the characters sort of do but like the cow creamer for example which in the grand theme of th- scheme of things doesn't matter at all everyone is acting like is you know a million dollars um or mm-hmm. or like he's so concerned about um you uh i guess even like making sure that gussie did, no one really finds out who gussie actually is. and so there's this earnestness that that the character himself has that sort of holds the absurdity together because it would all fall apart in the wrong narrator's hands, right? So, oh, to, absolutely. So so Wooster's earnestness and the earnestness with which he's trying to solve everything is is what holds the absurdity in sort of in place for us to sort of enjoy otherwise it just it sort, of, yeah. sort of devolves into like um sort of a Monty Python sort of skewering of slapdash exactly sort of Monty Python skewering of early 20 early 20th century british aristocracy um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it, that works better in a movie than it does in a book right um but what makes these books last is that the absurd the seriousness with which he takes the absurdity And the earnestness with with which he takes the absurdity holds it together to make it um, a a more coherent and and sort of stronger experience for us as readers. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Mm -hmm. Love will find a way.
1: David, I'm
2: tracking you, okay? I'm tracking you.
1: (laughs) Tracking you as well as I can without my morning (laughs) beanie.
0: Love will find a way. Meeting Madeline Bassett one day and falling for her like a ton of bricks, he had emerged from his retirement and started to woo. And after numerous vicissitudes, had clicked and was slated at no distant date to don the sponge bag trousers and gardenia for buttonhole and walk up the aisle with the ghastly girl. I call her a ghastly girl because she was a ghastly girl. The the Woosters are chivalrous, but they can speak their minds. (laughs)
1: One of the other things that's super funny that we might miss a little bit as moderns is the telegrams. The telegrams are hilarious because a telegram you pay by the letter, by the space. And so the fact that they're so rich that they send these long rambling telegrams with things like, what ho? And, you know, it's just filled with all these filler expressions. It's so funny. They're all just really, really funny
0: yeah that's a great point
1: <laughs>
0: hey, angelina yes. yeah i'm just gonna
2: i just love what angelina just said they're so funny they're just really really funny <laughs> like, there's a season episode where we talked about it before <laughs> i think homer goes to i don't know like the circus is in town and they have a reader's digest booth and he walks up to the reader's digest booth and he said oh or it's the word power booth and He says, "Oh, word power! I love word power. I read it all the time. It's really, really good."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, in my defense, the reason I filtered, I I kind of, I kind of failed. I pittered off at the end of that sentence because I was reading the telegram. I was trying to find an example of what I was.
0: Oh, that happens to to me all the the telegram
1: there's some telegrams on 30 and 31. I mean, birdies, birdies long response. Yes. That's all very well. You can, this is not how you write a telegram. Okay. This is like, when my parents first got text messaging, and maybe y'all can relate to this, they did not understand how text messaging worked. I got long letters from my parents, dear Angelina, that would end with things like, in conclusion, I was like, you don't understand <laughs> how a text message works, right? And that's, right. that's how these telegrams read to me. This is not how you send a telegram, right? So just Furthermore,
2: false.
1: yes, yes, that's all very well. You can come here. Now, he's paying by the, by the letter yes comma that's all very well you can come here immediately but how dickens can i you don't understand relations between pop bassett and self these not so as to make him welcome visit bertram would inevitably hurl out on ear and set dogs in now now what part of what's funny here is he's doing the telegram thing where you leave words out because it's expensive but then he Adds a bunch of yeah, stuff. He doesn't right, eat. Right. Useless suggest putting on false whiskers and pretending be fellow common spec drains as old blighter, familiar with the features and would instantly detect imposter. What does it you be done? What has happened? Why serious rift? What serious rift? How do you mean wedding broken off? Why dickens? What have you been doing to the girl? Reply.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's just he's just spewing <laughs> out what is in his, whatever's in his brain. And
1: it's so hilarious. And the fact that Gussie then responds in the midst of this major crisis that he's about to lose his love, uh, responds by saying, have worked at Invitation dispatched. When you come, will you bring book entitled My Friends the newts. And it's like, By the way, could you also pick up my newt book?
0: <laughs> and a he gives the publisher. He
1: gives the publisher, get any bookshop. <laughs> <laughs> because they all just have the latest newt book.
0: <laughs> but then, of course, Wooster completely forgets. All right, well, listen, yes. let's wrap this up. Um, what are you guys going to be looking for as you move into the next several chapters? And we will go through... Um, I think we were going to go through seven this week for some reason. So as I'll, look, I'll look that up while um, I'll, I'll find my notes on that. What are you in particular going to be looking for?
2: I, I want to see Jeeves clean up this mess.
0: Angelina,
1: sure. I want to see that too. I don't. I don't know how to answer that. I don't know. There, I just, there,
0: okay, what are you uh, excited about?
1: Okay, so when I read PG Woodhouse, I have a different experience than with with other books, right? Like, so other books, I'm looking for things. I'm taking this whole I'm going to pick apart the art of this book kind of kind of idea, and and usually that enhances my enjoyment of a book so i mean i'm I'm not suggesting i analyze it and don't enjoy like that's part of the fun to me is to look for certain things but i don't really want to look for anything i just love i just love the rhythm and everything about it i just want to let him talk out loud to me just like (laughs) just like (laughs) Ian forster you can just talk all the time pg woodhouse and i will listen to whatever you say no matter how ridiculous i just i just want to be delighted i think that's all
0: uh let's read through um it's going to be through chapter nine <clears throat> so we'll fit we'll stop between chapter nine and ten just to clarify that
1: sounded like a little jeeves cough i saw a dark figure and, and then i heard a familiar cough
0: <laughs> <laughs> lead on i said to the butler and the butler led on that's where we'll stop um sounds great you
1: could not have chosen a better place to stop to that last line wait wait i can't find it where's that last line on chapter four. Wait, Why? Thank wait, you, I'm Angelina.
0: Almost... I do believe that choosing where to stop is something of an art.
1: There you go, Jeeves. <laughs> I said, stand by to counsel and advise. The plot has thickened. That was like a great place to <laughs> yeah, stop. Yeah, it.
0: And and really, it's funny how nothing is really happening, and then now Austin ostensibly something is about to really happen, and we'll see if it actually does. But you know, Wooster seems to think that it's about to. Um. Before, even if we go, it doesn't, we will laugh. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So chapters, uh, we read through four this time. So five, six, seven, eight, and nine for the next episode. And then the episode after that, we'll finish it. Um, thanks to both of you before we go, I want to just remind people about the Duke, uh, the Duke university's Arite initiative that are the summer, um, the summer seminar on ethics, philosophy, and religion that Duke university's Arite initiative is hosting. We've talked about it before. Um, one more time. I want to just mention that the deadline for that is April 26th. Um, uh, for admission. So that's six days from when we're recording today. Um, And just as a reminder, that's going to be happening in Durham, North Carolina on Duke's campus. And the seminar will prepare high school students with a roadmap for approaching those same subjects in college, subjects that are in the title of the the seminar, that is Ethics, Philosophy, and Religion. And they'll be using text from religion, uh, from theology, literature, philosophy, and will examine topics such as the meaning of life, the substance of human nature, the question of human flourishing, and much more. Um, and will be taught by several Duke University instructors. You guys, if you listen to the show, you've all heard this before, but I just want to remind everyone about this one more time. It's open to high, current high school students entering their junior or senior years. And again, uh, Tim, do you recall how much it costs? Isn't it like a couple hundred dollars, David? It, you'd think that, wouldn't you? And then Bertie Wooster would be able I to sure go. I sure would. And, uh, yeah, but it actually costs nothing uh, for applying or what? attending. And those Cheaper that are...
1: than a cow creamer. Make your choices, people. <laughs>
0: That's true. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those admitted will be housed in Duke dormitories and provided with meal cards. And again, if you're interested in applying, you can email johnrose at john.rose at duke.edu. And to jog your memory, that is j-o-h-n dot r-o-s-e at duke.edu and applications. Once again, one final time will be considered on a rolling basis until April 26th. So if you're interested in that, make sure you contact Rose at john.rose at duke.edu as soon as possible. And thanks to, thanks to Duke for uh, sponsoring the show this month. And thanks to Ohio Christian university for making it possible for us to do this show as well. We are going to get off right now and we are going to go record the bonus true grit, uh, movie tie-in episode or whatever we're calling that for you. Patreon people. Ooh, yes. Talk about supporters. hard to shift
1: gears. I just finished watching the movie. Then I had to talk about this.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we're going to hang up here and we are going to go do that to everyone who is, um, Uh, not a patreon supporter right now but wants to hear that well you're gonna have to become a patreon supporter it's two dollars a month or something like that to be able to hear the bonus podcasts. that is less outrageous it is outrageous even someone who can't afford cow creamers could 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 afford to do that uh, in theory so if you how else will
1: we be able to afford cow creamers help a girl out
0: (laughs) yeah seriously So, uh, we're going to, like I said, we're going to get off the air. We're going to go record that. We're going to get that posted as soon as possible. So, be on the lookout for that if you are a Patreon supporter. If you want to learn how to be a Patreon supporter, you can go to patreon.com slash close reads and uh, discover all kinds of information and all the benefits of being a Close Reads Patreon supporter. But that is this episode for Angelina Stanford and for Tim McIntosh. Uh, I am David Kern, wishing you a gruntled time reading this book (laughs) over the next week. Uh, (laughs) And uh, for all of us here at Cersei, thanks so much for listening. Enjoy uh, The Code of the Woosters and we'll talk to you next week.